Welcome to the Truth of the Matter Is podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, alongside with Jonathan. We're back for episode number 77. Speaking on behalf of myself and Jonathan, we want to let you know that we appreciate you for listening in. Before we begin, let's give a round of applause to all who have decided to join us by pressing play. Cool. We thank you and hope that you continue to press play at your own convenience. Okay, so before we get into prayer, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Feeling very relaxed today. Got my candle and stuff going, so I'm in a good mood. What about you? Doing well. Can't complain. You know, it's finally been time that you got to bring out the big coats. It's cold out there. The wind is blowing pretty harshly. I think it's, what, 20 miles per hour now? So, looks like we've finally hit a point where winter hasn't arrived but it's obviously approaching and in some areas like buffalo they get in every snow i heard it was about six feet so i don't think we're gonna get six good thing that's not for the city right i don't have to shove the car out or dig the car out or shove the driveway so usually that sort of thing for us i was gonna say usually that sort of thing doesn't happen until i want to say january February, where we really start getting snow. I don't recall having too many snowy days. Seriously, of course, in December or November. I don't know. Do you recall any? Um, I think we had some in December last year, but not too much. Yeah. Alright, besides that, everything else is good? Yeah, man. Uh, I found like a great sale on like candles and stuff this week. So I got like a whole collection of my favorite scents. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah. What is your favorite scent, by the way? Um, I usually like stuff based in lavender because it's just calm and soothing. So I have this one from Yankee called Lemon and Lavender. You probably smelled it if you walked in there, but just in case if anybody wanted a pretty fire candle come home and relax too highly recommend okay never been into candles but i have to admit it smells good when i when i pass through yeah this other one that i have now is uh, it's an iceberry lemonade that's the one probably smell now Hmm. okay all right so we're gonna begin with prayer okay heavenly father in jesus name we thank you for another opportunity to be in your presence Lord, you said any time when two or three of us are together because of you, Lord, we can be sure that you'll be there. Therefore, we say thank you for being here and thank you for hearing us today. Bless us today as we bless you, honor you, glorify you, love you, praise you in advance. Starting today, we begin a new study of emphasis in your word, Lord. Our focus will now be on the gospel of Matthew. Help us to rightly divide your word. Truth for the matter is podcast does not proclaim to know it all. What we do know, we are not ashamed to share it. In fact, in confidence, we do it with conviction. Lord, touch the hearts of those who are listening, that they may have a desire to know you. Lord, touch. Again, I'll repeat it one more time. Lord, touch the hearts. Or those who are listening, that they may have a desire to know you. 
touch the minds of those who are listening that they may come to understand who you are touch the ears of those who are listening because you have said it clearly in the book of Romans faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word about you Christ Jesus so please use us as instruments of righteousness to share your word to the masses whether that impact comes to thousands or just one life just like the 99 sheep there was one who wandered off Lord and you will in fact go back and find that one because we are all the same to you Lord and to all that agree you may say in Jesus name we pray amen amen so let me begin by saying thank you to everyone who has listened so far to the first John series as well as the Luke series I hope you have been blessed by those I hope that you won't hesitate to go back and listen to old episodes as a reminder because Lord knows we all need reminders in life okay including me you can also see it as a point of reference right and lastly you can see what we share as foundation you know as foundational but how you know you choose to do your independent study you may see some similarities in your thought process or you might see some more in-depth thoughts that come to mind that you feel that God is showing you in scripture and we encourage that as well I also want to say thank you to everyone who has listened to myself as well as three passes we've had on so far up until this point we just want to thank them for providing us with their personal testimony now, we are looking forward to having more believers on to share their personal testimony about how Jesus Christ has changed their life for the better. So moving forward, I want to make it clear and make it known that it won't just be pastors, but everyday people as well who are making their way through this thing called life. So tune in. You will get a chance to hear different testimonies and the beautiful thing about hearing different testimonies is their testimony might align with your own. And sometimes that gives you hope and it allows you to see that you're not the only one going through tough times and trials and situations, but there are other people doing the same thing. But as Paul tells us in Romans, and I love this verse when he said that we should be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. And to me, having two believers or more believers being mutually encouraged by each other's faith allows you to go on feeling stronger and worthy to continue to fight the good fight. So, in the Gospel of Luke, we've discussed that it was an eye testimony book. And for proof of that, we look no further than the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 in the NLT. We're going to just mention this as a reminder. Daniel? Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitnesses' reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you. Most honorable, Philopathus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Now, before we begin unpacking Matthew, here are a few things we should know and also talk about in reference to the gospel of matthew so 
one of those things being was that it was written to prove that Jesus Christ is Israel's long-awaited promised Messiah, right? That he is the anointed one, the Savior. It was also written to declare that Jesus Christ, as a side note, Christ also meaning anointed one as well. You know, would you look at that? That's also something that we should, you know, take in consideration. Is the king of all the earth. Not a religious figure, but he's a king. The Gospel of Matthew was written to make plain or known the kingdom of God, hence the expression, the kingdom of heaven. I believe we've discussed that already in our list. So if you're looking to understand in more detail what that is, you're more entitled to check it out. And another thing to mention about the Gospel of Matthew is that it was written first. It was the first written gospel on record that was out. Okay. Now there's more I can share, but as of now, I believe this is a great start. So our topic for today is simple. It's the introduction of the gospel of Matthew. And our focus will be on the importance of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at the gospel of Matthew chapter one. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. Now, I'm not going to ask Dane to read each generation. Obviously, the pronunciations will be a challenge. So instead, Daniel, I want you to read from verses 1 through 3, then jump to verses 16 and 17, finishing with verse 17. And I want to encourage my audience that if you want to take a look at each generation or more details and knowing them, you're entitled to do that, but our focus today will not will be the importance of the genealogy from Jesus Christ. And I'm only doing this, like I said, because the pronunciations is pretty rough, pretty tough. And I'm not going to put Daniel through that. So Daniel, take it away. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Jumping down to finish verse 16 and 17, it says this, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the declaration to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the declaration to Babylon to the Christ 14 generations. So, did you know that some people believe that God is still resting after he created the earth? That he's not active? Some believe that he's not operating in human affairs, human history. Now, the 14 generations from Abraham to David says otherwise, right? That's why we're able to, you know, recall what's transpiring in the Bible. And even to today, in today's affair, God is still operating. Some still believe that God is resting, that he's not operating and impacting and changing things through the hearts and minds of people here, obviously, do believe it. Some people don't believe that that's what's going on. Now, before we go any further, I want us to also revisit the Gospel of Matthew 
And we're going to look at chapter 3, verse 23 through 38, English Standard Version. And we're going to do something very similar to what we did in Matthew, where Daniel's only going to read a few portions of it. And if you are looking to know the specific names in those generations, you're entitled to do that. And I think it's important that you should. So we're going to first look at verse 23, Daniel. Well, before I do, I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing, actually. Oh, what, that people don't believe that God is operating in human history and, you know, impacting things and changing things? Yeah, there are some people that believe that once God, on the sixth day, created everything and rested on the seventh, that he has not gotten up since. They don't acknowledge hmm. that in. Genesis 3.15, there was a plan for Jesus stepping into the world to address sin, right? And in 1 John, we know that Jesus appears to destroy the devil's work. There are some people out there that don't see Jesus and God as one of the same. They see them as separate, but they don't believe that God is active, that once he created everything, he's been on vacation somewhere. There are some that believe that, so yes. Interesting fact, but let me get into verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as we suppose, of Joseph, the son of Ali. So let's jump all the way down to verse 38, ending with this. The son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and of course, the son of God. Now... We did not cover the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke series because the goal was to address it now, beginning with the Gospel of Matthew series. However, it is important that we talk about it with the concept of approaching it in a joint effort. Now, what we can observe in the Gospel of Luke is the genealogy wasn't mentioned in the birth story. It was mentioned as soon as Jesus began his ministry, which wasn't until the age of 30. Another noticeable emphasis in the Gospel of Luke is the common word used through each generation, and you'll know when you check that out in your own time, which was the term son of, which makes sense once we get to verse 38, which says son of God. Now, let's be clear about something, right? Jesus is not God's son in the sense of human father and son relationship. We understand this reality When it comes to the development of family as we know it through different titles, obviously with blood connection, right? DNA, that sort of thing. Let's also be clear about this, right? God did not get married and have a son. There is no female version of God. (laughs) Make that clear again. God did not get married and have a son. There is no more. There is no female version of God. Now, I know there are ideologies in the world world that claim that they are equals that complement everything, right? Or there are opposites that complement everything. There's a show that I watched on Netflix that believe that. There are conversations that I've heard when they talk about the defined masculinity and the defined feminine, right? We hear that. You go a little bit into detail about that. What the divine. So, if I'm being frank, there's some that believe 
that if you the qualities that a male has and the way that a male expresses those qualities there's a masculine aspect to that and there are also qualities that women share and there's a feminine aspect to that there are some people believe that men lean on the masculine aspect and don't have any feminine aspect there are some people that believe that they are men that operate more on their feminine aspects than their male their masculine aspect and there's an issue with that because there are some that believe that there needs to be a balance so this all given into this idea that there's a feminine god and there's a male god and that spirit that dwells in you has to balance those two these are some of the ideologies that are out there that people lean on to be in more greater detail right it was something i read a while ago and this is just me as a philosopher diving into things and just being entertained by other ideas and it always helps because you're able to have conversations with people outside of what you believe and it's always fun to hear what they have to say i'm sure as well as they find it extremely entertaining to hear what i have to say right but obviously we believe that there's only one truth but to me there's nothing wrong with diving in as long as you know who you are and what you believe it shouldn't shake your faith at all but what i was reading in the show that i was watching a while ago on netflix is that there's some that believe there's an opposite so you see how in the trinity there's the father the son and the holy spirit there are some that believe in this complementary aspect which is the mother the daughter and the holy soul the same way you have a male you have a female that's like I would say philosophically accurate when we were dealing with logic. The same way there's light, there's darkness. There's left, there's right. Right? These are all well known observant things that you see. And therefore they lean into this belief that the God we know of, there's also a female God. Is that clear enough for you? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. I just wanted to know a little bit more in depth as yeah. for sure. So these these are these, other people would like to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are ideas out there and because it feels good and it sounds right, people lean into that belief, right? Never minding, you know, any historical writings that support certain ideas. Some of this stuff is new ages. So as people go on and they are developing and they're embracing whether it's crystals, whether it's energy, right? Even the whole concept of energy gets mixed up, right? We know energy as to do work. Some people use energy as there's a source of energy that's within us, and that's why they have this belief that they can activate crystals. And there's been people that I've ran into that I actually still have, you know, a sort of relationship with them as friends that believe that the energy they have activates a crystal and when they're going through certain things they hold on to that crystal and that gives them comfort never mind having faith exercising faith reading the scripture as support of your you know your belief in operating in faith there are some people that need objects different things to sort of tap into things that they believe will give them comfort right and these are certain things that you you run into right 
So now that I've kind of explained that a little bit more, right? So I want to repeat myself again, right? God does not have a counterpart that's equal to him. That's just not the reality of God. God is bad all by himself. Okay. Now that I'm cover that, getting back into the importance of the genealogy. <laughs> now, one thing that we need to understand or that we need to consider is that Jesus is God's in the sense that he is God in human form. God put on human flesh to reconcile us, to redeem us from sin. Hebrews goes into depth. So let's have a preview of that, right? Obviously, we're going to cover Hebrews separately in a Hebrews series. But it's important that we go to some of these texts for support. So we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 14 through 18 in the NLT. Daniel? Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of death. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he can offer a sacrifice that will take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are being tested. So that's very powerful, very straightforward, very direct. It just was quite a bit of things, right? So now, I want us to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read this in the English Standard Version. Okay. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So for further clarification, and this is all building back into this idea that God came in the flesh of a person, Jesus Christ, we're going to go to verse 14, still in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So let's go even deeper for a second. I want us to understand something. Jesus was never created. He always existed. Let's say that one more time. Jesus was never created. He always existed. Now, I understand that that's hard press or hard to understand because obviously when you look at the birth story, like we mentioned, when we went over in the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus being born there. But then when we read in Hebrews, we understand that Jesus had to become like us in order to redeem us. So one thing I love about reading the Bible is like a puzzle. And there are instances and times where you read portions of God's word and it's not in order. So you read one aspect of it and it makes sense, but then you go somewhere else and then there's more to understand. Like when we read all the way, we haven't read all the way, but we've mentioned Genesis 3.15. That's 
basically making an announcement that Jesus was coming, right? That he was coming in the form of a seed, which is something we'll get into more when we unpack the other verses. The thing about what's so beautiful about God's word is that because it's not written in order, just because one aspect of it says in the beginning in regards to how Genesis and how that, how that was basically narrated, we also find out that the text we just read, it talked about the word. It talked about God, right? And that God is the word or the word is God, right? There's a lot of different things going on. And we like to call these things. So that word is something called a paradox. Now, a paradox is usually an extremely absurd statement. But once you do the research on it or you study it, you find out that it's not as as a serve as it sounds. Okay, that's what a paradox is. And that's kind of how scripture is. You read scripture, you put two ideas together, and you're still left with questions. Another interesting thing that we should consider and recognize as well is that because the Bible was written in Aramaic and in Greek, and then it's transferred to our language, there are a lot of words that are, you know, especially in Hebrew, that have multiple meanings. And what's important about studying and going back and looking at the text is that its meaning in that setting, in that context, in that time period, has much more of a significant meaning. So I'll give you an example of that. The word fear, all right? The word fear in our context is completely different than how it is used in the book of Proverbs, where it says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? Now, that term fear really means reverence, which is respect to something or someone. So we don't fear God in the sense that we are afraid. And usually I, I would believe that in some cases, if there are things that we're doing and not supposed to do, some of us, when we feel convicted about something, there is fear, right? Because there's something that we know better that we shouldn't do, we do it anyway. and then. We feel convicted and therefore we have to correct it, right? So in that case, when we have reverence towards God, because we want to honor him and one of the commandments is to love him, we understand that by not doing certain things, we aren't falling in line of loving God. Where obviously our actions are producing and doing something completely different than what we vowed to do in the first place. So that's the importance of understanding that when you read God's word, you're constantly refining and searching and reading and unpacking. And you're realizing that it's more in depth and deeper than you could ever realize on the surface of how you see it. So I'm going to say this one more time and then we're going to move forward. Just in case if you lost what I said in the beginning because of all this, you know, extended conversation going on. But obviously this, co- this podcast is extemporaneously done so none of this is gone over and discussed other than probably the topic now i want us to understand that jesus was never created he always existed i also want us to know that jesus was present when the world was formed so for support of that we go no other place than scripture let's go to the book of proverbs chapter 8 we're going to read 
verses 22 through 31 in the English Standard Version. And I want everyone to listen carefully to Daniel. Daniel. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there was no death, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the depth, when he made burn the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the world, the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighted in the children of men. So let's be clear, right? Jesus made his appearance again throughout the Old Testament over and over again, even during Abraham's day. That's where we get Melchizedek, right? Introducing communion, right? Now, for our sake and example, Jesus, as a child, grew and matured and went through the process as we go through, right? And you hear me mentioning all the time, Hebrews 4.15, that, you know, when we place our faith in Christ, we place our faith in a person who has not sinned. And by doing that, he gives us strength, right? Because him being in that situation, him living as a human like we do every single day, he's obviously lived that perfect life, and he's gone through these tests and trials, and he's been tempted, and yet he has not sinned. So obviously he lived that perfect life that obviously we never live, and therefore he was a, a perfect sacrificial lamb in order to die and sacrifice for our sins. Now, I want us to also understand this as well. Jesus was here before Adam. He was created. He wasn't created, right? Let me repeat that. Jesus was here before even Adam was created. Okay? That's why Jesus is called by Paul the second or the last Adam. Okay? Now, the first man, Adam, became a living being like you and I. We are descendants of Adam. The last Adam, who is Jesus Christ, is a life-given spirit. The spirit did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spirit. So, the first man who was of the dust of the earth, right, that's Adam. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. But now, I'll stop right there, because that'll be a tease for when we get into those sort of things in the book of Corinthians, right, especially. But let's go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. Right in this verse, the word, right, is Jesus. Now, Jesus is God, God's son, and that he was conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit. Support of that. Go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 35. Daniel. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And that's where we get the term, again, son of God or son of man, right? Now, the reason why we went into 
much depth about who Jesus is and how he's always existed is because it matters when we go to the genealogy. So let's define that, Daniel. Genealogy is the study of family origins and history. The root word for genealogy is gene, as in passed on through the genes. Added to the suffix ology, which means study, and you get genealogy, the study of one's origins. So let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 13, for the context. And let's begin at verse 16, ending with verse 23. And we're going to look at this in the English Standard Version. We need context for this. Daniel? So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, choose our fathers, and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arms, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, and a man of the tribe of Benjamin. For 40 years, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jess, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Yeah, so what comes to mind when I read that text in Acts is the word heritage. Now let's define it, Daniel. Heritage is the full range of our inherited traditions, monumentals, objects, and culture. So when we study Jewish history, right, and this is most Old Testament stuff, what we, what we will find is land was inherited based on family lines. And those who could not prove their ancestry in Israel were considered outsiders. Growing up as a child and now as an adult, I would testify that many Americans, we have a strong sense of respect towards tradition. However, I don't believe most Americans know the names of their great-great-grandparents or care where they live and what they did. The respect is shown only through traditional practices, and that's where it ends. Unfortunately, it's because of this reality, many of us will not read over the genealogy in the Gospel of Luke and Matthew. And the issue with that is when we take a look at Genesis 3.15, we hear of a seed, and when we go to 1 Corinthians 15.45, Corinthians we learn of the promised seed. So that seed is Jesus Christ, our Savior, who was mentioned time and time again in Jewish history and in biblical history. The reason why the genealogy is so important it's because through it, we see that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. The first mention of the gospel was revealed in Abraham's time, and it was revealed to Abraham. Now, God promised Abraham that all nations will be blessed through his offspring, which was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
So let's go to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 7 through 16 in the English Standard Version to get more clarity and context. Daniel. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God will justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, written, Cursed by everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one is false or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. So when we go to the Old Testament, we see that Jesus was a descendant of David, which is validated in the genealogy. There was a promise that the Messiah will be the descendant of David. So let's go to our last two texts for today. First, we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to read verses 12 through 14 in the English Standard Version. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. Forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be a son. And finally, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, also the English Standard Version. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness for the time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of his hopes will do this. So my closing statement is as follows. Right? Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law. Right, He lived the life. You and I couldn't live and die the death that you and I should have died. Jesus has risen and will one day make his appearance again and will eventually fulfill every other prophecy in Scripture. He is the promised Messiah, the descendant of Abraham and David. He is our Savior who gave his life up to redeem us from sin. And he is the one true God 
that appear to destroy the devil's work and to build a relationship with each and every one of us. I truly hope that your desire to be in relationship with God as much as he wants to be in relationship with you is something you want. His proof of that was his death on the cross for you and I. And through that, we can truly live and be connected to the Father. As an aside, if you have time, don't disappreciate tradition. Get to know your great-great-grandparents who created some of the traditions we follow to this very day, right? Let us not just embrace what they left behind, but let us also get to know the people that still carry those traditions on and still have record and knowledge of them. If there's anything I learned in African studies, is that the great-great-grandparents do oral tradition, also known as libraries, because they had all the knowledge and insight based upon that time. And before there was any library or dictionary, those were the people that we would go to because they recalled so much information. I believe it was two episodes ago, we talked about the human brain and how much it can conceive. And remember, when you look at your cells, you know that you retain a lot of information as well since you were a child and that information is still up there, right? You still have it. You still can recall it. Therefore, don't, un don't underestimate their ability to recall and tell you and your ability in everyday life to recall information and utilize it. Our thing for the year has always been, you know, to keep filling up your jar. And that is, as you continue to study God's word independently, take verses that make the most sense to you and that hit differently for you and write them down and continue to put it in your jar. So I want us to embrace speaking to the great, great grandparents. If they are still alive. I want us to change the narrative that we're not just about embracing tradition, but we're also about getting to know them as well. Be the reason you and your family come together and not the reason you and your family grow apart. And on that note, we will finish with devotional time, of course. Jesus Christ was God entering fully into humanity, being supernaturally conceived, naturally formed in his mother's womb and born into humble circumstances. In Hebrews chapter one through three, it says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. God the Son is honored in four ways in relation to God the Father. Let's consider the third and fourth way as the manifestation of God. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory as we previously stated from Hebrews chapter one through three. The phrase speaks of a flood of resplendent light. The word radiance means an outshining, not a reflection, as the brilliance of the sun is inseparable from the sun itself. So the sun's radiance is inseparable from the deity. And the renewer of God, the phrase, the exact representation of his being, reiterates that God, Jesus Christ, is fully God's equal to and yet distinct from God. One encounter with God's son is enough to change someone forever. What was your most profound experience with God, with him, with Jesus? I want to say this prayer for everyone going into our week so that, you know, we have a good 
understanding of how to operate and we can only do that through god's word so let's bow our heads and say this jesus you are god and i worship you thank you for renewing yourself in your word and for giving me a personal revelation of who you are and all in agreement say amen, amen.